you know, it was a, it was a hell of a wake up call. Um, but I think at the time it's what I needed. I think I, um, I, I think I embraced it because it, it gave me something that I never, I didn't really have a lot of, I mean, I guess I did have some structure at home, but this was like a extreme structure. And, uh, you know, and I, you know, at the time I was able to meet, you know, just going to the Marine Corps boot camp, uh, meeting different people from having different perspectives, different backgrounds. And it was all new, it was novel to me. So I think at the time I was, I was embracing it and I said, all right, let's do this. No, never a, a point, let's say two, three weeks into boot camp where you went, oh man, I made the wrong decision. Well, you know what? I, I definitely thought about that on the first day. Um, but I, um, you know, that first day of boot camp, I was like, oh shoot, what the heck did I get myself <laughs> into? Like many of us do. And, uh, I said, you know what, let's just do it. Let's just write it out and move forward and, and see where this takes us. Welcome to the Transition Drill Podcast. Joining me for episode 99 is Angel Soriano. After graduating high school, college just didn't fit Angel's plan. So he followed his dad and his brother's footsteps and joined the Marine Corps. He served four years and had two deployments to Iraq. Coming to the end of his first enlistment, he wanted to stay in, but the wants and needs of his family came first, and he begrudgingly got out. Initially, he was planning to become a police officer, and during a pre-employment ride-along, he had a chance encounter with a social worker. This encounter, combined with a psychology class he took while using his GI Bill to go back to college, changed his career plan. Today, he's addressed his own trauma from combat and is giving back by helping other veterans. I appreciate your support of the podcast and taking the time to listen. Here's episode 99. Let's take it back to when you were a little kid. Where's hometown for you? Uh, hometown is uh, Whittier, California. Born and raised? Born and raised. Big family, small family? Uh, you know, kind of like a, I'd say small family. It's a small family. Brothers, sisters? I got two, two brothers and, uh, yeah, two brothers. That's it. You fall in, where do you fall in? Are you the youngest, oldest, middle? I'm the youngest. And were you a good kid or a kind of a troublemaker? Well, uh, I'd like to say I was a good kid, but I was actually, you know, a little bit of a troublemaker at times. Troublemaker in the sense of just like screwing around or actually something where it could have gone a completely different direction. If, if it, let's say the coin fell a different way. I think uh, for the most part, I was, I, you know, I was a skateboarder. I was a skateboarder. So I, I mean, um, skateboarding is not a crime, right? Skateboarding is not a crime. So I used to, you know, we used to go um, skateboard in schools and, you know, uh, security officers used to chase after us and stuff like that. So that was kind of like the troublemaker part of me. And uh, yeah, so I mean, but for the most part, I mean, I, you know, I was a pretty good guy, pretty good kid, I think for the most part. I mean, I, I think I could have, I wish I would have done a lot of things uh, better, you know, as far as, you know, taking school a lot more seriously when I was in high school. Um, but, it, you know, it took some time and some experiences to really understand that. Don't we all make that mistake? We get, it, we get to be adults and realize maybe I should have applied myself a little bit more in high school. Absolutely. Or school in general. Absolutely. What'd your mom and dad do? Uh, my father was a, uh, he was a bus driver for, uh, at the time, I think it was called RTD. Okay. Um, he was a bus driver. And my, my, uh, my mom, she was a, a CNA, a medical, actually a medical assistant. Disregard that. Yeah, medical assistant. And 
growing up, other than skateboarding, interested in sports? Do you play sports at all? I did a little bit of sports. I wasn't too much of a, uh, a you know, a jock, I guess. I, I, um, I did a little bit of wrestling. I did some uh, football, um, but I didn't really take it too seriously in high school. Uh, I think at that time I was uh, very into skateboarding. I was uh, probably, um, I, I thought I was going to go professional. That was my goal. Oh, okay. And so uh, I guess skateboarding was the, the sport, but as far as sports, uh, moderately, not too much. Was there one single event that kind of was the, the deciding factor for you not to go pro? Assuming that you didn't eventually make it pro as a skateboarder. You know, I, uh, I think when I got to, when I was in high school, so middle school was great. You know, we were always skateboarding with my friends and, you know, as we got a little bit older to high school, people started doing their own things. People, uh, they started drifting off to different, um, groups and, you know, I found myself skateboarding solo at that time and um and then at that time i i just uh i guess that momentum that i had to go you know get sponsored or become professional i uh i lost it and then i you know i got you know mixed up and i i got introduced to exercising a lot uh, i used to like to work out weights and then while you were in high school while i was in high school what introduced what brought you to that you know i um uh, gee you know, maybe my brothers, uh, maybe had some friends that, you know, were exercising a lot. They started, uh, you know, we tried to compare how much we can bench press and say, Hey, you can do, you know, I can max out on the 45s. It's like, what, you know, and I was like, let me do that. And then, you know, I actually got pretty strong. Cause I, I, well, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't strong at first, but you know, as I, um, I didn't want to be the weakest one. So I would, you know, exercise. And then before you know it, I was able to push those 45s. So in the age range or, or the the breakdown of your you and your brothers how much age difference between you and say your oldest brother shoot i wish that's a good question I, um we're a good um good age uh range away let's see he's in his uh, mid 40s i believe so there was a significant age gap while you were in high school your brothers were already quote unquote grown men adults essentially yeah yeah oh yeah so it's not like you were a freshman and they were the seniors in high school. Right, right, right. Yeah, they were, yeah, my young, my uh, middle brother, David, um, he was, uh, you know, he was, he was out of high school when I was in high school, so. As a high school student, you said you weren't too into school. Did you have plans at that time, though, for what you were going to do after high school? No, my plans were hopefully get sponsored. <laughs> So you were still thinking skateboarding? Yeah, skateboarding was a thing. I, I, um, yeah, wasn't, I didn't really have real plans. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, didn't have like a, this dream goal or career that I wanted to get into. And, uh, I was like, well, just live it one day at a time. Yeah. What were your, at that time, what were your parents kind of pushing for you? Were they talking about college at all? Ah, she did. They, I mean, you, you know, they, they say, oh, you better go to college kind of thing. And, um, but no, not, not to the point where like, uh, cause you know, I think my dad, he had some college, my mom didn't have college. So, um, it wasn't really, um, yeah, I, maybe they couldn't really, you know, tell me the, the process. So I didn't get all that information at that time. But of course it was that like, you know, uh, yeah, you better do college or you should do college. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I, I equate it back to myself and as a kid growing up, going through high school, my dad never stressed college. It was when you get out of high school, go get a job, you know, and that was, that was the extent of my future planning, so to speak. Right. When did the military start becoming a, a 
prospect for you? Well, um, yeah, I think it, it goes back to childhood. Um, and my, my father was a Marine. Um, my brother was a Marine. And so I kind of grew up seeing that. I mean, I didn't see them as in the Marine. Well, my brother was a Marine when I saw that. My dad, he, he was a Marine back in the day, um, uh, right in the, the end of the Vietnam War. Um, but he would always bring it up. I mean, I see his shirts. He would, you know, you know, when I was young, he would uh, sing the Marine Corps hymn to me. And, uh, and so it was just something that I grew up with. And I, and, uh, and I just picked it up. And it was just, you know, I was like, oh, I don't, I'm not going to go in the Marine Corps. And then um, once I graduated high school, I, uh, I went to, you know, a junior college. Um, my, my father and I, we went to uh, the local community college. He, I was like, hey, I need a ride to go apply. And then I was, as I was finishing with the admissions and all that, the, the mission office, I thought to myself, you know, I was like, you know, I don't want to do this. And, uh, and then I told, I told him, I, I want to join the Marine Corps. And he's like, you, you what, you what? And then he's like, you're right. a skater. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, um, he's like, well, uh, let's go to the Marine Corps recruiting office. And then right after that, you know, we went down there, you know, to the office and I talked to a recruiter and that's how it started. When you were a kid growing up, was your dad, did he talk about his time in the Marine Corps fondly? Did he like his time there? Did, or was it, did he talk about it as a, I don't want to, I, I don't want to use the word waste of time, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I know th he talked uh, fondly of, of the Marine Corps. Um, you know, I don't know if he was too successful in the Marine Corps. He didn't get very far in ranks, but uh, I think, uh, you know, it, what helped him out is that he, I think it made him grow up and he was able to, he got introduced to a lot of things that he probably wouldn't have. Uh, I think, um, you know, he grew up in East LA and wasn't too much going on at the time. And, you know, I, th I don't think he, you know, he wasn't going to college right after high school. And so, and I, and I don't think they were his family, you know, they, they were, they didn't have a lot of money either. So the Marine Corps was something that they did and, or he did. And, yeah, and I think he just got some good opportunity. He learned some things, and, and he would tell me some crazy stories about a lot of fights. And I thought that was kind of cool when I was growing up. He only did four years. He say it again. Him, your dad. Oh yeah, yeah. He only did. I think he did about three, three years at the times. I think the enlistments were about three years. So I think three years, four years. So just one enlistment. Just one enlistment. And your brother, how long was he in for? He did four years. Yeah, he did four years. So when you were going in, were you thinking? just one enlistment and out and just then, then figure out what you were going to do. Or was there ever a point you thought about making it a career? You know, I, I just wanted to get in. I did, I said, wherever it takes me, it takes me. I just, I just want to get into the Marine Corps. And if I like it, maybe I'll consider a career at the time. Uh, but uh, at the point, I think I just needed to get out of my environment uh, in where I live and, and get out and do something. Did you have a, a duty or an MOS or something that in mind that you thought you might want to do when you got in the Marine Corps? I did. Uh, Oh, three infantry. Yeah. So you wanted to be infantry. I did. Yeah. And the Marine Corps will accommodate you on that one. Yeah. You know, at the time, uh, it was around what, 2006 when I joined. And so, um, you know, the, you know, still the time with, you know, stuff was going on in Iraq. And so, um, you know, it was kind of tough to get into the infantry because a lot of people wanted to get, you know, join the Marine Corps and that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to get into infantry. So, um, surprisingly it was, I had to, uh, 
earn your way in? I had to earn away my in. I had to, you know, request a few times, hey, I want infantry. I don't want this MOS. I want infantry. And so, yeah, it wasn't as easy as, I, as maybe it was in the, back in the day. You said your dad went with you down to the Marine recruiter. Was your mom supportive of you going in the Marine Corps? Not at all. <laughs> no. Nah. I, I graduated when I was 17 years old, and I wanted to go when I was 17 years old, um, but she refused to sign for me. So once I turned 18 years old, I went back to the recruiting office and I said, hey, let's do this. Was it more because you were her baby or because she just wasn't, didn't think that was the best path for any of her children? Uh, probably both, both reasons at the time. And, um, baby uh, was the youngest one. And at the time we had a rat going on and, and uh, she, I guess she didn't feel comfortable with me going. Did your brother serve during the first Gulf Wars? Uh, uh, he did, but uh, he, no, actually, no, he didn't, he didn't at all. So he didn't deploy. He didn't deploy. I mean, he went, no, he didn't go overseas at all. I mean, he wasn't, I think he went to Japan, but um, he didn't uh, deploy uh, to the Middle East. But when you went in, it was very likely that you were going to be seeing combat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're now in the Marine Corps. It's 2006? About 2006. How did you find that transition for you, being the skater kid, not really into academics, now all of a sudden, a lot of rules, a lot of regulations, a lot of time management. How'd that work for you? You know, it was a, it was a hell of a wake-up call. Um, but I think at the time, it's what I needed. I think I, um, I, I, think I embraced it because it, it gave me something that I never, I didn't really have a lot of. I mean, I guess I did have some structure at home, but this was like a extreme structure. And, uh, you know, and I, you know, at the time I was able to meet, you know, just going to the Marine Corps boot camp, uh, meeting different people from having different perspectives, different backgrounds. And it was all new, it was novel to me. So I think at the time I was, I was embracing it and I said, all right, let's do this. No, never a, a point, let's say two, three weeks into boot camp where you went, oh man, I made the wrong decision. Well, you know what? I, I definitely thought about that on the first day. Um, but I, um, you know, that first day of boot camp, I was like, oh shoot, what the heck did I get myself into? Like many of us do. And uh, I said, you know what, let's just do it. Let's just write it out and move forward and, and see where this takes us. Uh, Before going in, did you kind of pick your dad and your brother's brain a lot to kind of get an idea of what would happen? Or did you kind of go, you know what, I'm just going to figure this out on my own and see what happens when I get there? I did pick their brain a little bit. Um, you know, my dad always, blew, you know, uh, you know, told me his boot camp stories and how tough it was at that time. And I think they were a little more tougher around the time he went in. Um, so I would ask him questions about his boot camp experience. Uh, I would ask my brother, my brother was also infantry and, um, you know, he was a machine gunner. And so I, I mean, I kind of asked him some questions, but I, I mean, I didn't ask him to the full extent to get a, a very thorough understanding. I think I just wanted to go in and, and get my own understanding of it and, uh, because at the time when I would ask people about it, I was, you know, they would say, nah, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, you're going to be going to war and, um, like, well, you know, so I, I just tried to just, I was like, I'm going to take up the experience and, and move forward with it and learn it on my own. Where'd you deploy to? I went to Iraq. In what year? Uh, she was at, uh, 2007, uh, one, one deployment, 2007, 2008 ish. And then I did another one around 2008-ish to 2009-ish. So two, two deployments over there. And once you're deployed, 
Was it, I don't want to say everything you thought it was, but again, was it working for you or were you, ah, this isn't where I want to be? Well, I think at that time, uh, when I deployed, I just wanted to make it back home. Um, I said, shoot, <laughs> I got to make it back home. So, um, you know, at the time I just, I, I focused on being there. I did my best to be in the present and, and, you know, I was around a, a great group, a uh, group of guys, um, great group of Marines at the time. And, you know, we were just, uh, we were in it together, you know, embrace the suck. <laughs> How many, so you did the two deployments. How many enlistments did you do? Enlistment. So I did one full enlistment uh, uh, as active duty, uh, four years, and then, um, got out for about a year after, um, you know, my EAS, uh, end of active service and, uh, did some school and I thought about it and I said, you know, I kind of miss the Marine Corps. I really do miss the Marine, the Marine Corps, you know, it's being around, you know, uh, you know, going, being on the civilian side is what we call it. And it was, it wasn't the same, you know, uh, it's like the culture's totally different. And so, uh, well, um, I can either a try to get back into active duty or B, I mean, maybe I can try the reserves and the reserves became an opportunity for me. I've had several guests talk about, especially in the Marine Corps, when you start coming to the end of that enlistment, whatever time it is, you're going to get out. You think you want to be out, but then once you're out, you miss it. When you were coming to the end of that enlistment and you were heading to get out, were you looking forward to it? It was like, did you think that, oh, my time here is done? Or was there ever a point where you thought, maybe I'll stay in longer? Oh, I, I certainly wanted to stay in longer. <laughs> I mean, uh, my plan was actually to do a sec another enlistment at the time. And uh, girlfriend at the time, you know, yeah, I'm sure this is a common story amongst many of us. Family. Yeah. Yeah, family. family draws a lot of people family. out of the military sooner than several of my, many of my guests mm -hmm. have said they wanted to. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, you know, and, you know, I wanted to do some cool opportunities and, you know, I, um, I think I was just away for too long, you know, cause I was stationed, I went to, I was stationed in Hawaii and, you know, families here in California. So, you know, I was away for that full four years. And so, um, there was a part of me that wanted to stay in and, and continue to, you know, you know, pursue the, the Marine Corps as a career. And then also come back and see what I can do in the civilian side of life. And, and, you know, with the skills that I've learned and, uh, you know, and, and see what, what the civilian side would be like. So I was half and half and, and, um, uh, you know, my wife at the time, I mean, my girlfriend at the time, you know, she, uh, she didn't help out with that. She wanted me back home. So I eventually got out at that time. When you enlisted, were you guys already dating? Yes. So she had been with you through your entire enlistment. She had also been, quote unquote, stuck at home while you were deployed. So she definitely had a side of the, the coin that said, hey, I want you home with your family. Oh, absolutely. Did you have any plans for yourself getting out what you thought you w would want to transition into? Oh, um, you know, I thought about it when I was in the Marine Corps and, you know, I was in the infantry, so we did a lot of time in the field and, and, um, you know, for some, you know, the infantry guys out there and, you know, we did a lot of firewatch too, you know, and, and so when firewatch is, you know, um, when everybody's sleeping, you know, you're the one up and you're making sure that, you know, um, everybody's safe, you know, and you're watching, you're, you're maintaining awareness of what's going on during, at certain times during the night. 
And obviously, you know, at times during the night, there's not a lot much, a lot of going on. So <laughs> nothing's lot, going on. A lot of time to think. And so I would, you know, I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And I was infantry. So I was like, oh, shoot, I can't do much with infantry except for law enforcement. Um, but of course they tell you, you know, you know, your infantry, you learn all these leadership skills and you can apply that as a business management and all that kind of stuff. So that was some things too. So I, you know, I, I mean, of course law enforcement came up at the time and, um, because that was the, the, the easy thing to go to. Um, but, uh, no, that was, I really didn't have, a, um, too many ideas of what I wanted to do. Looking back on it, if you could do it again, would you do a different MOS? Oh, not at all. No way. No way. No, Marine. I mean, I mean, uh, infantry is, is, I mean, when I think of a Marine, my understanding of a Marine is, is infantry. And so, um, you know, I, you know, it's, I feel like it's the only way to go. Yeah, I mean, it's like a foundational MOS for me. My understand my, from my perspective is it's a foundational, uh, MOS is where you learn your foundation. And then from there, once you get, you know, your infantry background, then you, you move up to other parts of the Marine Corps and, you know, you can take on those administrative roles or those nice gigs. But I think, um, infantry is where you, you learn the, the Marine Corps and, and, that's where I think the uh, true culture comes from. It's their, you know, it's their tagline. It's their motto. Every Marine is a rifleman. And there is something to that core tenant to what the Marine Corps is about that are, that are really from those that I've spoken to mm-hmm. really seems to get drilled into you, no pun intended. And, and at the end of the day, that's what the Marine Corps is about. Yes. For, for many in the Marine Corps coming towards that transition out you said you kind of thought maybe law enforcement it obviously didn't go down that route right did you start picking the brain of the brains of anybody and say you know start getting some advice about what other options you might be able to do when you got out you know at that time i i mean i talked to a few of my buddies at the time and you know this great thing called the uh, post 9-11 gi bill came out around the time i got out um, that just started where they were paying for school and then also support, uh, assisting with, um, housing allowance as well. And so, you know, she, we're like, uh, you know, if we go to school, we can also find a place to live, you know, near the school. And so, uh, started, uh, picking the brains of other uh, Marines that were, um, you know, more smarter than me. And they were like, yeah, we're going to be going to school. And I was like, okay, well, what are you guys doing? And what's, how are you guys doing that? And, and so, um, I was picking their brain and, and then I, um, I got the opportunity to take a college class, my first college class, uh, like the last few months of the Marine Corps. I was like, shoot, I might be able to do this. And, uh, and I think, and I was also exploring different jobs and, you know, salaries that I wanted, you needed, a um, a degree, a college degree. Um, you know, there's a lot of spot, you know, employers that say, oh, we'll, we'll take military experience, but. I think uh, for a salary that I was, I wanted to get, it was, you know, you needed that uh, four-year degree or, you know, that graduate degree. When you say you got the opportunity to take your first class while you were still active. Yes. Is that something that the Marine Corps was encouraging or you just kind of had to make it work within your schedule? Uh, You know, the both, both of that, um, both uh, to respond to your question. I think the Marine Corps, you know, the, it's very, it's, it just depends on the job. I mean, in the infantry, you know, you got this very busy schedule. Um, 
not a lot of time for school at all. But, you know, for the guys that are getting out, um, they get what they what we call fapped out to different to different jobs uh, within the Marine Corps, because, you know, essentially the the, the remaining unit is uh, training up for the next deployment. And so the guys that are getting out, I mean, they can go and support that deployment, you know, support the, the Marines that are getting ready to head out or they can transfer out to another position. Um, a lot of guys went to MPs at the time. Um, but I, you know, at the time I went down to, uh, the educational center on base and, uh, I just said, Hey, what, what, what do you guys do here? And, and, and how can you help out, uh, transitioning Marines? And, um, there were some people telling me about, man, you, you have a lot of benefits and resources and, and they said, did you know you can use transition assistance or not transitional? I can't remember what it's called right now, but tuition assistance. And uh, you can take a class uh, here on base. And I said, no, I didn't know that. And they told me I made, I can use about a certain amount of money. I think it was about three grand at the time uh, for tuition. I'm not sure. I can't re really recall, but there's a good amount of money that you can use. And so I said, okay, well, how do I do it? And they said, here, fill this form out and have your commander sign it. And um, I said, okay. And I got lucky enough and I got that uh, signed off and everything worked out. And uh, I did my first class. It was actually humanities. It was uh, something um, I wasn't used to, but hey, I, I, I did it with one of my buddies and, and um, you know, we did it together. So, and we, we both passed and it's like, maybe this is it. We, I can do this. So it was a distance learning type class on base I was, affiliated with the college? It, it was actually, they had, um, there were schools on the base. Is so, this down in San Diego? No, I, uh, it was actually in Hawaii. Okay. Yeah. I, Hawaii, uh, was it Hawaii Pacific University? at the time and they have um classes on base uh. and you now transition out you're back home here in southern california yes did you keep going to school at that point well i i guess i should before i get to that point i um i actually uh talked to i got some additional information as we discussed and from some of my colleagues uh, at the time and we uh one of my uh, boys uh Xander at the time, uh, he said, Hey, you know, uh, you know, we could potentially go to school out here in Hawaii and, uh, you know, try out this post nine 11 GI bill. I said, man, that's a good idea. Hawaii would be a horrible place to go to college. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> horrible. And so, uh, we made it work and, uh, we put our heads together and said, Hey, um, how do we do this? Who do we talk to? How do we apply for this GI bill? How can we get this thing set up in a way that it's going to, you know, roll right in. So once we get out, you know, we can get this GI bill, um, rolling and, um, we fed off each other and we actually, uh, we, we found an apartment out in Waikiki. Um, and, uh, yeah, we each got our little apartment and we were able to go to school full time at the time. For, and I think we did about, I think six months to a year after I EAS from the Marine Corps uh, in Hawaii. And I finished up a, a few classes to nearly get my associate's degree. Were you married at this point? Uh, was I married at that point? No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. Was your time. girlfriend living with you though in Hawaii? No, no. I told her we need to, she needs to come. <laughs> I was trying to bring her down to Hawaii because I, I wanted to stay, make a life in Hawaii. But, uh, she, she's very close to her family. So she didn't want, at the time she didn't want to go to Hawaii. Um, but now she wants to ask her today. Where yeah. Now <laughs> she, you should have told me that a while back, but Hey, it is what it is. Well, and that where I'm going with that is, so there was obviously the pressure from your girlfriend to get out of the Marine Corps and, and stop being deployed. 
but then you get out and stay in Hawaii. I could see her, her pressuring you to like, Hey, you need right, to come back right, home. Right. The whole point of you getting out was to come home. Right. Right. My, so my, my thing with that was, you know, I said, Hey, I, I need to get a, a degree. I need to get some college going because if I go back, uh, um, you know, I need to make a, a decent wage or a decent, uh, income. And she wanted to get, you know, we were going to get married. So she wanted this big wedding and all that kind of stuff. And I said, well, Hey, I, I got to do what I got to do. Um, and, and that helped out. So at that time, what careers were you looking at? You remember? I was thinking law enforcement. I was thinking law enforcement at the time. Um, I think that was primarily it. Um, law enforcement. And that was pretty much it. And I, yeah, that's all I really wanted to do. Cause that's all I knew from the Marine Corps. Now, how soon at, I know you said you didn't want to get out when you got out, but how soon afterwards did you start looking at, all right, I got to figure out another way back into the, to get back into the military. Cause I know you said you went the reserves for a little while, mm -hmm. but was it immediately? I mean, just as soon as you were out, you're like, I got to get back in. No, I, you know, I think I did some time to, to breathe. I took some time to breathe and really soak in, um, that time out, you know, and, um, live life as a civilian again. And, you know, I wanted to see what my hair looked like if it grew out and, and, uh, you know, not worry about calling people by their ranks and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I think I took about a good year and, and, um, you know, uh, some, uh, during that year, I kind of thought about it and I would say, no, 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 you got out for a reason. And, um, yeah. And that year passed and, and then I got, a uh, what we call a prior service recruiter that contacted me and said, Hey, uh, you're still on contract for, uh, inactive reserves. Are you interested? And I said, yeah, let's talk. So that's all it all happened. Leading up in that year, were you talking with your girlfriend now wife about how you kind of missed it and were thinking about going back in or did you kind of keep it a secret? I think I was open about it. I talked a little bit here and there and, you know, I think I just, uh, one of the things, uh, the Marine Corps ingrained, uh, pretty much a lifestyle, you know, a, um, you know, the physical fitness part of it. And it was just very, very well a part of me. A lot of the, uh, um, the culture of the Marine Corps, it just stood with me. And so it was just an everyday thing that stood with me. And I said, shoot, I, I mean, I talked about it here and there. I was open with her. Was she, did she ever change or you, you went back into the reserves. So was she supportive on your second time through, or was she only supportive because you were considering the reserves and not full-time yeah, she was, she was actually, uh, you know, supportive for, for the reserves, you know, cause I mean, it wasn't a full-time thing. It was a monthly, uh, week in a month, you know, one week in a month, two weeks a year thing. So going back to being a skater while you were in Hawaii, did it transition into being a surfer? It actually did. I, it actually did. Um, so I picked up some longboard, longboarding, you know, I didn't, I'm not a shortboarder, but, uh, uh, picked up longboarding and, uh, yeah, I could ride some waves here and there. I'm not as good as I'd like to be, but yes, I did. Yeah. Have you continued surfing today? I have. I have actually. I haven't I haven't done it recently. Been so busy with uh, you know, and I got three kids. Life. So life, <laughs> life. And so, um, and I live about a good forty five minutes away from the beach, which is not too long at all, but when uh, there's no traffic in right. Southern California. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> and the worst part is the traffic leaving the beach in the afternoon. Yes. Yes. So um, so, but you know, so here we are summer and uh, it's getting warmer and I'm going to make my way out there soon. So what year did you get out of active duty? 2010. 
and you stayed in Hawaii for about six months? About six months. And then came back stateside? Yep. And you went reserves in 2011? Yes. And you kind of made it kind of sound like maybe the reserve experience wasn't the best experience. Did I misinterpret that? You, you got it. You got it. Yeah. I, I went back into the reserves. Uh, it, we call it the SMCR. And, you know, I was so, I guess my understanding of the Marine Corps was all active duty. And then when I went to the SMCR side of the house, um, my understanding was it was going to be like active duty and it definitely wasn't like active duty. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, well, what is this? Uh, you know, it was a way different experience. Uh, a lot of stuff was getting pushed into a weekend. Um, and, uh, you know, I was like, ah, oh, you know what? I don't know if I can, you know, make this part, you know, I, if I can make this work. Um, and at the time I was actually, uh, continuing school at the time. And, uh, I was like, yeah, I think what's more important is, is me getting this degree. And so I, I left the reserves for a brief amount of time. When you say you left, so then is that an option? Can you kind of just choose to when you're going to be in and when you're going to be out? Uh, well, well, in the, in the reserves that I was in, cause I was an inactive reservist. I didn't have, I didn't go in as a, as a contracted reservist. Got it. And so I was just finishing out that inactive reserve contract. So at that time it's, you can get into a unit and if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you can uh, request to drop back to the IRR. And that's what I did. And what were you studying in college? Um, I studied, uh, when I was in Hawaii, I was studying, uh, administration of justice and then, um, when I got back, uh, went to a, a four-year university and I studied uh, psychology because criminal justice at the time wasn't available. And so I said, all right, let's do psychology. And when you started taking psychology classes, did your career ideas or career plans start changing? Y yeah, it, it did. Uh, it did because uh, I was taking these classes and, and I was like, man, I, I've experienced some of this stuff in the Marine Corps. And uh, I think a lot of stuff I was, it was, I was in denial about, I was like, Oh, she, I, I think I, uh, um, I think I've experienced that. <laughs> and so, yeah, definitely. And I started, um, I just, I started taking different, taking, uh, uh, interest in different, uh, career fields. Uh, when you say that, I'm assuming what you're referring to is the mental health component, the, the trauma that comes with combat trauma. Yeah. Oh yeah. How did, excuse me for you, how did it manifest itself? What were you seeing in yourself? Hmm. You know, I think, uh, I think a lot of, like, um, I don't know if I, was, I guess I was, it kept to myself a lot. Um, I would only focus on communicating and interacting with veterans. They didn't want to have too much interaction with, uh, you know, non, you know, uh, people who weren't veterans. And, um, yeah, I, I just, uh, I kind I distanced myself from family, I think. And I just stuck around with the uh, Marines and, and vets. I felt comfortable with that. Was it significant enough that your family recognized it and said anything to you or no one ever said anything? I mean, I think I've heard some things here and there, but I think what really helped me out was I noticed that I was getting some of these, some of these, I guess, symptoms in a sense. And, uh, and I was like, man, and uh, I, I, so I, I started, you know, I knew that alcohol can be an issue if I did drink. And so I said, if I don't want to drink, I don't want to drink too much and, and have this 
continue to be an issue. And so one of the things that I did was I minimized any alcohol use. And um, at the time I was very into exercise, I still am. And so that's what I did. And I, and I did what, I, what made me feel good, which was exercising. I did a lot of running, I did a lot of weightlifting. That was the, um, the high that I was getting. Uh, that's, what, that's how I cope with a lot of this, I guess, um, PTSD symptoms that I was experiencing. When you mentioned that you didn't want to go down the alcohol route because you knew it could be dangerous, did you already know that you had a propensity to abuse alcohol or is it just something in, as an in general that, hey, I don't want to use alcohol to cope with this? You know, I think it was kind of like um, maybe a somewhat of a propensity of it because, it, you know, in the Marine Corps, there's, there's somewhat of, you know, there is a culture of, of you know, uh, hey, let's, let's drink and enjoy a beer for it, you know, and um, and you know, that can lease, it can, um, transfer over into the, the civilian side and, and, uh, you know, a coping mechanism could have been alcohol. And I said, no, I, I can't do that. I can't, it's, um, this is different. You know, we're not in, back in the military anymore. <laughs> I'm around fa family now. So <laughs> keep it under control. Right. Did you ever, ever get to a point where you actually went and sought professional help? Yeah, I did. Yeah, not for alcohol, but uh, no, for the yeah. the PTSD and the I mental did. health. I did. Yes. How long did it take you to kind of cross that bridge? Took about a good um, two years after I got out of the military. Um, yeah, I, I, it happened when I was studying psychology. Um, I read it in the books that, um, what was it? Counseling can be helpful for some of these symptoms, and I said, hmm. And then I remember um, at the school that I was going to, they offered um, counseling there. And, and uh, I made my way over there and I, I signed up for it. And I was, at the time, I, I was like, shoot, I, don't, I was very, um, I don't know, how would I say it? it was, I was trying to do it incognito, you know? I didn't want anybody to see me. I was, you know, because, you know, at the time, my understanding of mental health, it was very stigmatized. Now you don't need it, you know, toughen up and... Uh, it wasn't for me. I, I mean, I didn't grow up in a, with my family saying, oh, let's go to, you know, you shouldn't go see uh, your psychologist or, or something like that. So um, it was very foreign to me at the time. But uh, I said, hey, what's the, the worst that can happen? And, um, and I did it. And I, I met with the counselor and I, she helped me, uh, helped me out tremendously. You hit, a, you hit the nail on the head is that so much of the barriers that get put up to asking for that help or seeking that help is the stigma of the perception of it. We don't want to be perceived as weak or we don't want to be perceived as not being able to handle our business, which is the worst thing to put on somebody because what you've experienced and what its impact has been on you is obviously having effects. And to try to think that you can just ignore it and go away is, is ridiculous. Did you ever reach out to your dad or your brother about their time and, and the corresponding mental health component of it? No, not that I can recall. Not that I can recall my dad. I, I don't know if he would have gave me the best advice. I think he was a uh, old school, I, old school, you know, where they would, he would drink it off and, and he wasn't a drinker when I was, I guess when I was born, he stopped drinking, but um, you know, he was a big drinker when he was in the Marine Corps. So but as far as asking my brother, uh, no, I don't remember asking him specifically. And 
it was just that, that macho culture, you know, your first time going to talk to a counselor, did it, I'll use the terminal, I'll use the word work or did you kind of find that, Hey, that didn't really work for me. I, I need to go talk to somebody else. Or was it from the get go? Hey, this is beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was at the, at the get go. I said, this is beneficial. Um, because you know, I think what at the time I, um, it really challenged the way I was thinking. I think I, I had so many, I, I had developed this thought process in the, in the, the Marine Corps that was somewhat at the time, you know, something's aspects of it could have been toxic. Um, maybe being too hard on myself or, or just having some perspectives that, you know, that were having so such high standards. And, you know, when I went to this counselor, the counselor challenged some of my thoughts and, and, um, they call it Socratic thinking. And I said, I've never thought about it that way, or I've never allowed myself to think about it that way. And, um, and that's where I was like, wow, this can be beneficial. I've heard people say this before that when they, their first time starting to talk to a counselor and starting to go down that road of, Hey, you need to look inside yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a huge door to open and, and be willing to step through it. Did you resist that or looking back when the, when you talked about how the counselor kind of pushed you and, and made you start thinking about things, did you see the benefit of it immediately or was there some resistance to really opening yourself up that much? I think at the time, I mean, it, it was somewhat immediate um, in a sense that, you know, was, I noticed that things started improving. It, um, you know, I think, um, like I said, I, you know, I was thinking I had changed some of my thought patterns and, and to more helpful ways of thinking about things and uh, which uh, alleviated uh, a little of the stress that I was experiencing and, you know, and challenged me to maybe take on things that I, I wasn't doing at the time. And I said, well, maybe I can, you know, this is helpful and maybe something I can continue to check into. 10 years later, or roughly a little more than 10 years later, are you still talking to a counselor for your own issues? Uh, every now and then, every now and then, um, I'm just so busy with stuff now. Um, you know, I really don't get the opportunity as much as I like, but I mean, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I do get treatment at the VA too. So whenever they uh, offer some treatments, uh, I'll definitely take uh, advantage of it. So we talked about how you start, your eyes got opened when you started taking the psychology classes. Today, you're, what's your exact title? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm a, a licensed clinical social worker now. Clinical social worker. Uh -huh. How did that career open itself to you? Well, uh, at, you know, when, at the time when I was studying um, psychology at the time, I was, you know, still considering law enforcement at the time wanted to break into the uh, criminal mind, you know, with my psychology stuff. And uh, I was doing some ride alongs with some of the local police departments. And um, one of those uh, ride alongs, uh, we, we linked up with the social worker. And, and I said, hmm, I've never, I, my understanding of a social worker was from a movie. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if anybody's watched it, but Selena, um, there was a social worker part in that time. And that's what came, my understanding of a social worker was. And, uh, so anyway, I met this social worker on the, uh, while on this ride along and I, I, I said, Hey, what do you do? And, and what's your role here? And, and tell me, you know, tell me what you do. I'm, I'm interested. And the social worker told me what, um, you know, their roles or duties, how I, 
And um, she explained uh, the case that we went out to uh, in a way that I was fascinated with. She gave me this understanding of, wow, I, I, didn't, I didn't see it that way. Because when I went with law enforcement, it was more of like, is there a crime? And, um, but the social worker had this huge perspective and this, you know, and she had this different lens that um, was different from law enforcement. I said, wow, you're really looking deep inside of it. And, um, and that's what really, uh, opened me up to social work at the time. Really kind of digging deep into more about the person than the event or the actions. Exactly. And was there any need to change your schooling or your studying when you decided to go down that path as far as a career? There was, there was, um, um, so I, you know, I got that interest in the social work and there was a class that, that was required um, one of them was, um, different seminars that I needed. It was like part of the requirements that I needed for the program. And one of them was, uh, social work. Uh, I can't remember eth ethics, ethics and social work. And that professor at the time, um, yeah, she inspired me and I said, I I'm interested. How do I get into this? And, and, uh, there was another elective that I needed and she had an intro to social work class and I took the intro to social work class and. I said, it's over. This is what I want to do. You already mentioned that you had a different perspective of what a social worker was and what a social worker does mm -hmm. until now that you're doing the job for somebody who might be interested in or doesn't really know what a social worker does. Can you explain the, the scope of what you can actually do? Oh, wow. Uh, it's a, it's a wide range that social workers can do. Um, we can go all the way from the micro side of the house, all the way to the macro side of the house. And what I mean by that is when we go with the micro side, um, you can do individual, um, um, if you want to go the clinical track, you can do individual counseling. You can be a, a license, you can get licensed and provide, um, one-on-one -on -one therapy or one-on-one -on -one counseling, family counseling very similar to other professions like MFTs or psychologists. We can do that once you get licensed. Um, you can do case management. Um, you can, um, so that's the micro side of the house. And then if you move into policy, there's a big policy side of the house where there's a lot of advocates. Um, you, go into, um, you can go into management, leadership roles. Um, and, you know, a lot of leaders, I think um, social workers make good leaders, I think, because they, they really, they, you know, they teach us the biopsychosocial perspective and it allows us to see the, um, the whole, the whole person. And, and, uh, I think that's what, um, you know, as social workers, we, we, uh, we use that lens, um, in our careers and that's how, you know, there's so much that we can do. When you first decided to get into it, did you know exactly what component you wanted to focus on or did that kind of come in time? I, uh, I think when I, I wanted to work with veterans at that time, but I, again, I, I had, at the time I took up an opportunity, whatever I, um, I can get. And so it started off with working with children with autism. Uh, I was getting out of the, um, finishing up school. I got this opportunity to work with, uh, uh, children diagnosed with autism. Um, and then from there, um, I got, I got accepted to grad school. And then um, we had to do internships at the time. And there was this internship opportunity where they would uh, pay for a year of school if you work for them for one year. 
And I said, well, shoot, I can use that. <laughs> I can use a job. And it looks like that's a pretty good um, job and good way to learn and, and, you know, get back into uh, a, the swing of things. Basic entry into being a social worker, does it require a bachelor's degree? Uh, the basics, yes. Yeah, there is a, you need to have a, if you want to identify yourself as a social worker, you have to at least have what they call BSW, a bachelor's of social work. Um, so it's a specific degree program for social work. Yes. Where'd you get your bachelor's from? Uh, I got my bachelor's from Azusa Pacific University. And the company that offered you the internship to help pay towards your grad school, was that a private company or a government entity? That was a government entity. And then where'd you end up going to grad school? Uh, I stuck with Azusa oh, Pacific. Stayed yeah, there. Yeah. And by going to grad school and, and getting that portion of your degree, what is, what additional doors does that open for you as far as being a social worker? I'm, yeah. I, oh yeah. So, I mean, um, so if you have the, the, what they call the BSW, you know, it's primarily like case management, um, that you can stick with. But once you get your master's, the MSW, it opens up so many other doors. That's where you can get onto the clinical side. Um, you know, do want to learn about one-on-one, -on -one, um, therapy, family therapy, um, or that, again, that policy side or that management side that you want to get into. And it, it's, um, it's just, a it's a, you know, social work at a, at a higher level. And when did you start getting the opportunity to start working with veterans? Hmm. Well, I started, when did I see, well, let me think about that. Back in 2000, let's say 2000, I can't remember what you call it, 2017 ish. I was working with an organization and I was able to transfer over to the, uh, the veteran program. And have you been working with veterans primarily ever since? I've worked with the, uh, quite a few different, well, ever since then, but yes, I, um, I have, I've done a difference. I've, I've worked in different pop with different populations. Um, so, but, um, my heart with, with vets, with the vet population. From your experience, because you you've got the unique experience of coming to counseling, having realizing it, going through it, and now you're giving back and, and working with them. What's what are you finding is the biggest barrier to getting them to you? Is it more is it still more the stigma or is it just a lack of access to care? Hmm. I would say there's a little bit of both to that. You know, there's, uh, there's still some stigma into it, but I think, uh, stigma is definitely decreasing, I think. Um, and then access to care can be kind of, um, confusing on how to get care. Uh, like someone like myself, if you didn't grow up into that, you know, a, a family that pushed, uh, psychotherapy or mental health therapy, I mean, you know, how do you get it? You know, maybe at that time, I mean, maybe they just know, go to, go to a priest and do some confession. <laughs> um, but, uh, so yeah, I think a little bit of both. I think, uh, some stigma still there, but that's definitely improving. And, um, you know, as far as access to care, it's, it's getting easier, but you know, it's, it's just a matter of, uh, finding the right person. And there's a, a big veteran population. Um, you know, we want to, um, you know, help out our own. And so, um, once you talk to another veteran and you ask them, Hey, how'd you do that? Or, you know, um, what steps did you take? Other veterans are willing to share and you just take that information and go forward. What would you say from your experiences, the percentage of veterans that are experiencing issues related to their mental health, but they're not acknowledging it? Shoot. Well, 
you know, I don't have any stats I can really pull off the top of my head, but I'll tell you, it's a very, a very big amount. It's a very large amount of uh, the veterans that are not acknowledging it. And um, it's, it's tremendous out there. Yeah. How quickly would you, using yourself as an example, kind of negates this? If you were to do it all over again, would you go start talking to a counselor as soon as you got out of the Marine Corps? I think if I needed to, yeah, I, I mean, it, it wouldn't hurt. It definitely wouldn't hurt because, uh, you know, I, I like it. I liked it. I would, maybe I would. Uh, and I'll tell you why, because you're talking to someone who's objective and who's trained on, on how to ask questions, ask good questions. Um, you know, they really aren't trying to put their own uh, spin onto it or they're not trying to influence you in a certain way. It's very objective when you're talking to a counselor and you're able to really um, use them as a, as a sounding board in a way. And like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. And uh, they can repeat that back to you. And you're like, Oh wait, that doesn't that sound, doesn't too <laughs> sound too great. So, so yeah, I would definitely um, at the time, I mean, I would definitely recommend that. If somebody's interested in wanting to start talking to somebody, where's the best avenue to onboard that? Is it through the VA or is it through a private organization? And obviously that's based on your opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely on, on the veteran's opinion. No, I mean, in the sense, what's your opinion as to what's the best avenue for them to start going down that road of counseling? I think uh, my, as far as like accessing care, like mm -hmm. right when they get out or just in general, if they, in general, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, they can always talk to their primary care provider um, and then inquire about it and say, hey, what are the options? Uh, some people don't want to go <clears throat> go through the primary care side of house of the house and go through managed care and they want to do it on their own. And they can go on uh, on the Internet and search up uh, psychotherapists online and um, and find out who that you know what their preference is. And do they want to talk with the male or do they want to talk with a female uh, with a, a certain cultural background, pay out of pocket. A lot of people don't want to use, uh, insurance. So they, you know, they rather use just pay, um, cash. And so it's really up to, um, preference at the time and what's going to be the best, uh, suit for that person. Do you find that the ones who want to pay for it privately or not going through their insurance are still trying to keep us they're, they're talking to somebody a secret. Is that why they're usually paying for it out of pocket? It certainly is a possibility. It certainly is a possibility because uh, if you're talking to someone private, you know, they got their different uh, confidentiality uh, rules. You know, it's not managed care. It's not getting uh, monitored and not monitored, but in a sense, it's not going through, you know, like a, you know, a different uh, platform, you know, where your primary care provider can see it and all that. And, you know, if someone wants to request medical records, they're not going to be, you know, going through that you know, the agency or organization. So yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. Someone may be a little more secretive. With most entities providing the service, you, you mentioned previously that somebody may want to talk to an, a, a male or somebody may want to talk to a female or somebody may want to talk to somebody with the same racial background. Does everybody pretty much have that opportunity to be that selective or is it, Hey, here's who you're going to go talk to. Um, both. <laughs> Both. I mean, it definitely, if you go on private side, then you probably, you probably can be a little more selective on who you want to choose. Um, you can definitely see their background or ask them about their background. Um, versus if you go going through an organization, you know, they might have a limited amount of clinicians available. So they might give you the one that's available. 
you can make your preference and they'll do the best to accommodate you and you can give it a shot. And if it doesn't work, you can always request another one. Um, but you know, if you don't like it, then you're just going to have to wait until you get someone that you do like. And so that can be a challenge. But at the same token, if you do just simply get assigned to a counselor and you're not connecting with them, there's nothing wrong with saying, Hey, I want to try somebody different. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. We're training that in, in, uh, in grad school, you know, um, not everybody has to, to like you, you know, or, or, you know, they're not going to be able to feel a connection with you and that's okay. And, uh, we're okay with that too, you know, and, um, we want the best for our clients and, and for, you know, the, the people that we serve. So all they got to do is just communicate it and, uh, no hard feelings. What are your long-term goals with this? What are you hoping to, to accomplish as far as your career? You know, I think just continuing to do, you know, do the same thing that I'm doing is, is, uh, continuing to, to serve the, the veteran population, help others and, and, you know, and create, um, awareness and, you know, take one, I don't know, live one day at a time. And I'd like to eventually move up into a role where I can, you know, maybe influence some things on as far as like, um, how veterans are, you know, different veteran programs for veterans or how veterans, you know, maybe de somehow decreasing stigma and uh, increasing that access to care to the veteran population. What do you think is the, how do we get rid of that stigma? Do you think it'll ever go away or is it, is it slowly going away? I think it's slowly going away. I think it's slowly going away. I think the way that we can, you know, potentially continue to go that way is um, having people come out and actually talk about their experiences. Um, um, we have leaders. If we have leaders, they can talk about their experiences and, and normalize it um, because um, the younger population is going to see that and like, oh, well, he went through that too or she went through that too, you know, and, and he went through that. He got that service and, you know, it's okay if I do it too. And so I think, um, you know, if leadership continues to be, you know, open about it, and I think that we're going to continue to decrease that stigma uh, of mental health. Where would you like to see, or if you could make any change today to aid veterans, what would be the first thing you would change? Mm. To aid veterans. Hmm. Or um, to aid veterans, I would, she increased funding, you know, increased funding for resources out there and services, um, increase access to care. You know, sometimes services can be a little bit further out, hard to get to, hard to reach. But if we continue to put more organizations in the community for veterans to see that are aimed towards that veteran population, um, you know, more veterans are more likely to, you know, get those resources. So increase funding for uh, different services, different agencies that can help veterans. Did you go through the TAPS program? I did. Was talking to a counselor a component of that? You know, not that I can recall. I'm sure it was, but maybe at the time I can't recall. It was offered. You just didn't take advantage of it. It might've been, you know, it wasn't emphasized. I'll tell you that if it was, um, yeah, it, it definitely wasn't. It was more of, you know, here's, your, you know, some benefits you can t uh, tap into or, you know, different agencies that came up that wanted to hire vets that I can recall and, yeah, but as far as uh, saying, hey, uh, you can get uh, individual counseling, I, you know, maybe they did, but I can't recall it right now. Do you think that most would be open to it if it was mandatory? 
or do you think they would do the absolute minimum just to check the box and get out of there? Uh, you know what? I think it's, um, you might get both. You might get both of them because, uh, you know, some might be open to it because it gives them that opportunity, you know, and, and then, uh, some might, you know, say, I don't need this or, you know, they might have a, uh, you know, that stigma towards it or, you know, they might, and not everybody has, um, you know, any issues and, and mental health, uh, issues to address. So maybe they, they might not need it. So, I mean, I, I, I can see it going both ways. I just wonder if it's something where somebody doesn't realize it at the time. And so maybe being forced into talking to somebody exposes them to, like you said, the person who's going to ask that right question and open that door. And all of a sudden they're like, Whoa, I didn't realize that. If you go in and you talk to somebody and they, you're like, Hey, I'm good to go. I'm not having any issues. Then you just move on. But I, I do think that if there was a way maybe of making it mandatory, I do think it might open a few more veterans up to the importance of counseling. Yeah, no, I definitely, I can see that. Any last piece of advice that you would have for transitioning veteran or, or from your experience as a a social worker dealing with veterans? I guess for the last piece of advice I would do, I would say for vets and transitioning service members is, you know, um, you know, live one day at a time, you know, have goals, set a routine. You know, uh, the main thing is, you know, we, you know, in the Marine Corps and the military, you got this established routine, you know, and, and then once you get to the civilian side of the house and you got to you got to get your own routine going. So try to get into the routine, get back into the gym. If you're able to exercise still, or, you know, do something that you like, um, and, uh, continue networking and, 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 take opportunities too. Cause you never know where they're going to take you or ne- you'll never know who you're going to meet. And, and, um, let's take up those opportunities. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed it. Not only is the podcast available on audio platforms, but you can also watch it on YouTube at the transition drill podcast channel. Please subscribe for future episodes. The best way you can help the show is by getting the word out. If you think somebody else might enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would share it with them. Also, if you have the time, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating. I welcome your feedback, both positive and negative. You can also go to the website, transitiondrillpodcast.com, and through the contact tab, send a message directly to my email with any comments or suggestions. Thank you again, and I hope you tune in for the next one.